0: Here at the Potteries Museum and Art Gallery in Stoke-on-Trent with Deb Klemperer, the Principal Curator. Deb, from your collection of three-quarters of a million objects here in Stoke, you've brought what looks to be a small bowl.
1: That's right. It's a small bronze Roman pan and it's absolutely fascinating because we think this is the first ever souvenir of Hadrian's Wall. It's quite small It's about four inches across or 90 millimetres across at the rim and it would have had a horizontal handle, which is now missing, but we still have the scar for it on the vessel. That would have been decorated just as the wonderful body of this is decorated with eight roundels, they're called, but they look like swirling aeroplane propellers and the design is filled in with lots of different enamel and there's about four major colours. But more exciting than that is just below the rim, there is an inscription all the way round in Latin. There's no full stops, no punctuation, so it's hard to know where the inscription starts, but I'm going to start with the first name of one of the forts. So it says Maes, Cogabata, Uxlodunum, Camoglana, Rigore, Vali, Ely Draconis. So what we have here are the names of the four westernmost forts on Hadrian's Wall, which are Bonus on Solway, Drumbruff, Stanix, and castlesteads, and then the rest of the inscription is up for all sorts of interpretation, but it looks as though it's saying, in the line of the Elian Wall of, that word's left out, Draco. So it's either made by Draco or it was made for someone called Draco.
0: And the Elian Wall is Hadrian's Wall?
1: We think so, and it's the first ever... Time on a small object that Hadrian's Wall is named from its time when it was actually active as a defence against the Pictish invaders.
0: And are there similar items anywhere else in the Roman world?
1: There are two of these ornate ladles, because that's really what they are. They would have had horizontal handles and a base. This is missing both of those. There are two others. One's called the rudge cup, and it was found in Wiltshire, and... The other was found at Amiens in France. They have inscriptions below the rim, and instead of the beautiful, swirling, propeller-like patterns we have here, they have a simplistic sort of representation in enamel of Hadrian's wool, we think. The difference being that they are all cast in one, whereas this has been cast without the inscription, and the inscription has been put on afterwards, so we think this is the first one. And maybe people thought, wow, we're onto a winner here. We can produce and sell these souvenirs of Hadrian's wall. and the likely place it was made was Stanix, which is one of the westernmost forts, which is a, a suburb of modern Carlisle.
0: And were tourist items like this common in Roman times?
1: We don't know, and the interesting thing is the survival. So I've just said to you it's a tourist souvenir and they thought they were onto a winner and they made them. then why are only three survive? Well, I presume. The others got melted down. And none of these artefacts are found anywhere near the wall, which helps you think that they were acquired by people who then moved away
0: or they were sent away as gifts. What was Staffordshire like in Roman times?
1: Well, this area of Staffordshire, or this part of the north-west Midlands, was a frontier zone. Typically, the south and east of the county has... Roman remains of various sorts and clear lines of roads and settlements and villas and towns. And then the north and west is seen as having less information, less to offer. Partly that's to do with the geology. It's harder to pick up information archaeologically or from air photographs on heavy clays and so on. But also it represents this frontier zone.
0: A frontier between where and where? Because I've always assumed that Hadrian's Wall was the frontier.
1: Well, Hadrian's Wall was constructed in the early part of the 2nd century. But as the Romans invaded Britain, there were some areas that they found easier to take over or cooperate with, partly because they'd already been in touch with Iron Age tribes in the east and southeast, and there'd been trade exchange and so on. As they got further into the country, and they advanced really quickly, because although I've said this was a frontier, there was a Roman kill in Stoke-on-Trent just after the conquest, before 50 AD. But this area was seen as an area where you would extract all the goods you needed to support the military further north and west. So we think... Lead was produced here and various other goods as they expanded further north and up to Scotland. In effect, this is a military zone, whereas south and east, you've got genteel lifestyle.
0: So would Draco, if he was the owner, would he have ever seen Hadrian's Wall?
1: I like to think so. I like to think that this was his retirement present and that this was a Roman soldier and his mates clubbed together and had this engraved for him. And the person who made this pan thought, that's a damn good idea, I'm going to do this as a souvenir forever
0: onwards. And what's the story of this specific item's discovery and what's it doing here in Stoke?
1: Well, the Potteries Museum and Art Gallery acquires archaeological artefacts from the whole of the county and this was found up in the Staffordshire moorlands by a metal detectorist called Kevin Blackburn and he and his friend Julian Lee brought it into the museum. They'd first contacted someone from the Portable Antiquities Scheme, which is a scheme which records small artifacts that people find in the ground that are ancient archaeological material. And I was the first professional to see it. They were just thrilled to find it. So they were detecting up on a field and got quite a strong signal. And this was found several inches down, quite dirty. And they cleaned it under a tap with a toothbrush, but didn't actually damage it realised it was really important and got into touch straight away. Absolutely fantastic, because this isn't protected under the Treasure Act. Ancient artefacts over 300 years old, which are substantially gold or silver, you have an obligation to report them. This doesn't fall into that category. They wanted people to know about this and let us know straight away.
0: And there seems to be a tradition of... The importance of the Portable Antiquities Scheme here in Staffordshire because of the Staffordshire Hoard, which you're also very much associated with.
1: Yes, and we jointly own that with Birmingham Museum and Art Gallery. In 1997, the Portable Antiquities Scheme was set up at the same time as the Treasure Act came into force. Now, the Treasure Act, I've just described what it protects, but it was we were all very aware that there were loads of other artefacts that aren't protected by law including something like this. And it would be great to record them, even if they're not deposited with any museum or other organisation. And it's been highly successful. We were one of the pilot schemes in the Midlands, along with Birmingham Museum and a few other museums in the Midlands. We sponsored the first Portable Antiquities Scheme person in this area. And it's been fantastic. And it's hugely increased our knowledge of these artefacts of all sorts.
0: This. A lot of controversy within archaeological circles about the role of metal detectorists. Quite. What's your view?
1: I always like to have a really optimistic view, and that is that it's in everyone's interest for these things to be reported. There are scoundrels out there, but there are scoundrels in every walk of life. And to be honest, I think if someone reports something, as this was reported, and goes through a due process where we acquired it, we purchased it from kevin these people become a hero kevin became a hero i've known of instances in the past in other parts of the country where people did spirit away a find and they ended up being prosecuted and so on but actually to cut a long story short they would have been better recognized and gained more finance by going through due process and channel so i believe that it's really interesting to work with metal detectors and see what they're coming up with they often have specialist interest in what they're looking for, and they're very enthusiastic and it's good for the history of the area.
0: And as the county museum, that must be particularly important to the Potteries Museum and Art Gallery.
1: Absolutely. Before 1997, you had the law of treasure trove, where you had to go to an inquest with people sitting as a jury and decide whether that person in antiquity had intended to place that thing in the ground or had lost it accidentally, and whether there were any living air. So you went through this whole crazy process with something that was 2,000 years old to try and decide if there was any living air that this piece belonged to. The law was simplified. People came forward more often with their finds and reported them. And we've acquired quite a number of treasure artefacts through the years and other non-precious metal artefacts through this process. It's been very, very interesting. It isn't just the goodies. It gives you the personal and intimate pieces that people accidentally lost through their lives that you don't get on a big archaeological dig. You might get all their pottery and their house structures and so on, but you won't find their ring or their precious item unless you discover graves.
0: So with your experience and with your background, what would be your one key message to metal detectorists listening to this programme?
1: Be aware of the Treasure Act, be aware of the Portable Antiquities Scheme and report your finds and they will receive really good attention.
0: And Deb, I think this particular item that you've just described is a very, very good example of that.
1: Absolutely, because Kevin and Julian took me and Ralph Jackson from the British Museum to the find spot, to the site. They found other finds in the same place and it does seem that this might have been a ritual site. Now, I use that word carefully because everyone laughs about archaeologists and says when they use the word ritual, it means they don't know what the site's about. But this site has a number of finds on it which date from the late Iron Age, so from about 0 AD right up to Saxon times. For instance, Kevin has found up to 12 Roman brooches called fibulae. None of them are broken because usually if they're lost, the pin's broken and they all seem aligned in the same way. And because he took us to the site and revealed where he'd actually found it, we could see what the lie of the land was like. And so this is an amazing ridge above the River Manifold, which at that point, most of the year, flows underneath the bed of the river. You can't see the river. So was this a site where people were asking the river to flow? please let us have life-giving water come back. It's fascinating to have that information, so we wouldn't have known about this site at all without metal detectorists.
0: Deb, thanks very much indeed.